Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to reason with my brothers and sisters about being useful to you while they are still young. Holy Spirit, this is special ground. So please come and and take us through and walk us through in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the topic I have been given is while he was yet young. And it is from Second Chronicles chapter 34 verse 3 about Josiah. Josiah started seeking the Lord. He became king when he was eight years old. And there is no doubt in the mind of the writers of the Bible that among the kings, he was the greatest revivalist. It's true, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah were godly kings, but the extent of the revival that was carried out by Josiah was so massive and biblical that the Bible says there was none his equal. So, uh, today, I want to try and reason with you and persuade you that even while you are still young, you can give God your life so that he will use you. And my first appeal is biblical. A little study of the Second Chronicles, the last ten chapters, from chapter 24 all the way to chapter 34, we have 12 kings whose average age 
at the time they became the kings of Judah is about 20 years. Second Chronicles 24 says Joash was seven years when he began to reign. We have people like jo- Josiah who was eight years old. Then Manasseh, he was 12 years old. Uziah was 16 years old. Amaziah, 25 years old. Then Hezekiah, 25 years old. Ahaz, and it is, it's a wild passage. If you read all the way from Second Chronicles 24 to chapter 36, you are like, what? People are at the age of 7, 8, 12, 16, 20, and the, 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 the oldest among them was 25 years old. And they were kings and ruling the people of God, the whole of Judah. So, here we have people who are just youth. By 25, you, you are just about leaving Legon or finishing national service. Now, let's look at the other youth in the Bible. Joseph, 17, when he was sold. And he was taken to Egypt, but he could keep his ground from age 17 until he became prime minister at age 30. Look at David, 1718, when he was anointed king and killed Goliath until he became king of Judah at age 30. And it's 37 and a half, he became king of the whole Israel. Should I tell you about Jesus Christ or John the Baptist? John the Baptist was 30 when he began ministry. He ministered for one year and he was in prison for one year and beheaded by age 32. Jesus Christ, he began ministry at 30 and was crucified 33 and a half. The Bible gives us youth into whose hands God committed so much responsibility. The destiny of nations and even the destiny of the whole humankind. Jesus was just, you know, coming out of being a youth. And he 
was carrying the sin of the whole world onto the cross. Even Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul was telling Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the believers in speech, in faith, and, you know, in word. Because even when you are young, you can be a model of righteousness and godliness. So that's number one. Number one reason why we need you to sign up with the rest of your life for ministry in God's house is because you are not the first, you will not be the last. Young people like you were used by God to save, you know, whole nations. But that brings me to the second major argument. God's call upon your life. One of the greatest mistakes you can make when you leave school is to allow the busyness of life and the cares of this world to swallow you up. Wait a minute. I, I know what you are thinking. You are saying, well, pastor, you know, you have to make ends meet. You have to climb up business ladder and the professional ladder. This is the time I agree with you perfectly. But if you are running in the wrong direction, no matter how fast you run, how busy you are, you are just busy getting more lost. Look at the scenario we have. If you come out of school, you are working with a bank, you are working with an insurance company, you are, you know, busy uh, doing some professional something. So you have time for nothing. You brought nothing into this world, and it is sure you can take nothing out. That's First Timothy 6. From 6 all the way to 11. You, you, Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. Job, in Job chapter 1, verse 21, after he lost all his property and his 10 children in one day, he said, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. I came from my mother's womb and naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have to tell yourself that 
If you don't take care of your soul in the midst of the attraction of this world, its pleasures, its lusts, you will lose yourself. Mark chapter 8 from verse 36, 37. He says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So, if you gain everything, but you, you lose your soul, you become like the rich fool of Luke 12, from 16 to 21. Many times, when you are a young graduate, the attraction of how to amass wealth, how to get more lands, to get a building, to get a car, to this, can completely make you unreasonable. And you begin to pierce your soul with compromises, with love of money, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and pride of life. And by the time you are 40, 45, you are no good again because you have killed your conscience. And the fresh strength you had from campus, all your prayers on Sabbath field, or you remember when at KNUST you were this, you were that, and UCC, how you were on fire. Where is it now? It's dead. <laughs> you lost it because you were just searching for a few more cities. You see, that fire of God, which he put into your heart for him, for his work, the love for the Bible is gone. It's not there again. Where did it go? According to Matthew chapter 13, verse 21, 22, he says, the cares of this world and the desire for riches, they choke the word of God so that it doesn't bear fruit again. And look, Bill Gates is divorced. If money is everything, then why is Bill Gates divorced? Money is not everything. Money is not everything. The idea that the more money you have, the more you can make life is a wrong motive and philosophy. But that brings me to my third point. God's call upon your life. There is a purpose. There is a reason why God made you. Just like he created the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. There is no human being on this earth without a God-given purpose and calling. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They are irrevocable. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a reason why he created you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the plans that I have for you, the thoughts I have for you. And God's plan for your life is what will succeed. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 says, There are many devices in the heart of man, but the counsel of God shall stand. Psalm 127 verse 1 and 2, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord watches over the city, the watchman is awake, but it's in vain. So, the truth is that many of us, the attractions, the allurements of this age make it such that we are not interested in pursuing what God has created us for. And we overreach ourselves. When I started traveling to the UK and the US, I was shocked. Many of our young men and women over there, if you see what they are doing, somebody has finished medical school here and he's gone and he's a nurse in the US or UK. Because you need to reset your exams and go through training in order to be a doc- recognized as a doctor there. You want to be a teacher in the UK, you have to go through their training PGC system again before. So, a lot of them are forced to do menial jobs. But because you get the pound, you get the dollar, the salary is better than in Ghana. So you are content. But are you really doing what God sent you to the earth to do? I was reading the report and the one man who said he was in charge of transporting the dead bodies of Ghanaians back to Ghana. He said that last year alone, out of the 54 or 56 of the dead bodies he flew back to Ghana, 48 of them were dying under 45. And they were dying from overwork, keeping two or three jobs. Their wives don't see them. Their children can't see them. They are, they are, and, you know, I'm not saying this just about the UK. I have talked with those in the US and they tell me, you are a taxi driver in the US, no time even to go and wee-wee. You carry a bottle in the taxi to wee-wee in the bottle because no time, traffic. You don't want to spare the time. You can't go for lunch. So you buy something by the wayside and you are eating, destroying your health, no sleep. And even, you know, I was in the office on campus here in Legon when a lady who was doing her PhD in Canada came to me to interview and 
talk. She was doing her PhD on transferring Ghanaian children in prison in Canada to prison in Ghana. Because when she said when she saw the number of Ghanaians in prison in Canada, her heart. Because many of the children, you know, the way their parents are busy, they don't have time for the children. Then the children fall into bad company. And before long, they are pushing drugs and selling drugs. And some of these Brazilians and even some of the Easterners, Chinese and so on, they are very fast. So the Ghanaian boys get caught. And even because of their color prejudice, they are imprisoned. And they are languishing in a Canadian prison, even though your parents have got Canadian, uh, you know, citizenship. What is that? Is it worth destroying your future? God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God has a master plan he wants to execute with you. Why don't you yield to him? Why don't you give him the opportunity? You see? And many times, the things we say we are busy doing. What, what, what are you so busy doing you can't read your Bible every day and have your daily quiet time? What are you so busy doing you can't pray? When Jesus says in Luke 18.1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. When Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate therein day and night and be careful to do according to all that. Then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. Any success, any prosperity, which is not biblical prosperity, biblical Success is a failure. At the end of it, you see that you have just been clutching at a spider's web. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So a lot of us, we just get carried away. And our lives are no use again to God because we are filled with very empty things. Another group too that I have a lot of quarrel with are people who prefer sports to church. They prefer, you know, uh, their own uh, pleasures and games to a prayer meeting. So the church is filled with women and children and illiterates whilst the graduates are standing at the side. So we have, you know, illiterates pastoring our churches, semi-literates leading our churches, when the graduates are standing aside. Is it reasonable? You are a graduate. You give your soul in charge of somebody who cannot even read the, whole, the Bible well. He rather should take you to heaven. Why you busy yourself about worldly things? Are you thinking well? 
You see? Are you thinking well? If you read the Bible, you yourself know that some of the Bible, you need to be educated to even understand what it is saying. So you can't just leave the, the worship of God, the church of God into the hands of just anybody. You can't leave the fellowship into the hands of anybody. What about today's youth? By far, the most challenging time of all life is youth. Ecclesiastes 11.9, he says that, look, young man, enjoy yourself, but remember that all this will be brought into judgment. 12.1 says, remember the Lord in your youth. Before you grow old, and then the, the days when you say, I have no pleasure in them, descend upon you. When you can't read because your eyes are troubling you. You can't eat properly and enjoy your food because high blood pressure is troubling you. You can't sleep well in the night. Before those days come. When you are young, you take critical decisions. Whom to marry? What work to do? Which profession or career to pursue? Which church to be involved in? Which friends to pick? You take decisions which affect you a lifetime. Therefore, you need people who understand you to come alongside you and help you. Our campuses are filled with young men and young even right now that you know people are I, my time we went to the university from the sixth form so you did seven years in secondary school so by the time you go to the university at least you have seen a little of life now after JS3 and SHS3 you are already in the university so a lot of the young people get the university don't know they are left from their right. They are mere adolescents. They need help. They need help from a group like you. You have been through it yourself. You know the dangers. Somebody has helped you. And you are the best person to go alongside them. Because you understand the technology. You understand the challenges of our times. And you, you, you can really reason with them. And they can trust you more because they feel you are closer. You are a big brother, a big sister. You see? But when you are also too busy, too busy doing nothing, or even if you are busy doing something, not anything that relates to God, so you cannot come alongside and be of help. You are not able to have a stable, quiet time. How are you going to help them? You see? But that is not even all. You know, you have to understand that. What you sow is what you reap. 
Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. He says, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he reap. If you cannot worship God and carry the worship of God side by side with your profession, with your career, with your work life, what makes you think when you grow older, you will serve God better? No. We form habits. We build habits. And time and God are not waiting for you. 80% of all human beings who are born again, ever born again, are born again by the age of 20. This means that From age 20 to 100, only two out of ten human beings are ever born again. What does that mean? It means those 20 years and below are a great opportunity for us to work with. Because they change more easily. Once they enter the business of life, they become caked. How long can they serve God? You know, I was born again when I was 18 years old. I'm now 67. So you are talking about 49, 48, 49 years of serving God with my strength. If a bank manager is 55 years old, and even you lead him to Christ. How long can he serve God before he dies? So we need our youth. Another point I want to establish for you is the fact that Africa is the youngest continent in the world. 19 out of 20 of the world's youngest countries are in Africa. And six out of ten Africans are below 25 years of age. What does that mean? It means the bulk of the work for God is among the young people in Africa. The bulk of God's work is among the young people of Africa. When they perish, it affects the generations to come. When people work among them, and a lot of them are born again, it affects the generations to come. We start a slow revival so that in the years to come, we reap it. So, your generation has a great opportunity. Either you invest in the youth and a lot of them are born again and in the years to come you have peace in your nation and in the continent or your generation can be too busy for those who are behind you and in the years to come you reap the fruit. You reap the fruit. Because they will harden up against you. 
Then, I want also to make a small point about the, the strength of the Christian church right now. I'm sure you have seen the statistics being passed around. As I speak now, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. For almost 50 years now, Christianity has been between 32 and 33% of the world. Yes, we are the world's largest religion. But Islam has risen from 16% to 24%. And in the next 30, 40 years, is going to catch up with Christianity to get to 29%. Quiet Christianity is still marking time at 32%. Do you get me? In fact, the prediction is that by 2060, Islam and Christianity will be at par. If what is happening now continues, and then they begin to overtake, because the average age of Islam is younger than the average age of Christianity. These are the hard facts. I am ashamed that by the, you know, 30 years, 30 to 40 years after Jesus died and went to heaven, without internet, without electricity, without four-wheel drive, without WhatsApp and aeroplanes, Peter, James, John, Paul, Timothy, they carried the gospel on their shoulders. They were being imprisoned. They were being beheaded. They were stoned. They were slashed. They were chained. But they carried the gospel from Jerusalem, broke the Jewish resistance, broke the Roman Empire's resistance, and made it a world religion. But from Acts 1, when Jesus left for heaven, to Acts 28, the gospel had gone from Jerusalem to Rome, the world capital. And the historians say within 200 years after Jesus left the earth, the gospel was in every town and city of the Roman Empire. Why did Charlemagne declare Christianity a, a religion of the empire? They could not stand it by Acts 17, 6. They were saying, these men who have turned the world upside down, they have come here also. They told Peter and John and these people in Acts 5, 28, you have filled Jerusalem with, your, with, with, with this, your gospel, your teaching. Today, the average student on WhatsApp has about 200 friends. But look at the world now. One third of the world is still unevangelized. 
You see? 80-81% of all Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, they have never seen a practicing Christian with their eyes. Look at the 1040 window. About 97% of all the resistant countries, the poorest nations, they are all there and trade. And the work is left. Who should do it? If the Bible says in Proverbs 20, 29 that the glory of the young man is his strength and the glory of the old man is his gray hair, who should take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth? But our young men and young women, this is the time they are in search of money so much that they cannot bear to take the simple order of Jesus that go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all I have commanded. Lo, I am with you to the close of the age. Who should go? This is my question. You see, it's like myself and my children at home. When we finish eating, am I the person who should wash their dishes or they should wash mine? Who should go? You want we who are your fathers to go? What are you doing with your strength? You see? You doing with your strength. It always, you know, puts me to shame when I see Islam and they are men are in the front, in the mosques. They are men during the Ramadan. And then when I go to church, 70% of the Christian church is women and children. You see, our men are out there frolicking. And they look at their words. I'm busy. I'm busy. Busy about what? What are you so busy about? They don't have time even for their wife and children. Your wife will be flirting. You are not aware. Your children are wayward. They are watching pornography. You are not aware because you leave the house 5 a.m. and you come back 9 p.m. every day. You say you are saving so that you can buy a house you can for the children. Wayward children and you are buying a house for them. Are you thinking? Are you thinking? You have no time to put the gospel into your children, to put the Bible into them. You have no time to put conscience into your children, but you have time to amass money for them. Are you correct? So, this is my problem. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want you to sit up and ask yourself whether you are doing right. You ask everybody, I'm busy. What are you busy about? The president of United States, Joe Biden, and the prisoner in Sawan prison, they both have 24 hours to the day. When you say you are busy, you are not frightening anybody. God cannot give you 25 hours to one day. Everybody has 24 hours. 
when you say you are busy, what you are, you are talking about is that I don't think my Bible is important enough for me to waste my time on. That's why you say you are busy, you don't read your Bible. You don't have your quiet time. When you say I'm busy, that's why I don't pray. It's because you are saying that, God, I don't have time to be praying to you. You know, I don't want to waste my precious time on you. Because you also have 24 hours. Everybody has 24 hours to deal with. So we all do the most important things. And every other thing, we say, I'm busy. Don't, don't, don't frighten anybody with your busyness. You see, what are you busy about? Are you so busy that your soul doesn't matter? You wait until you die. When death comes, tell death I'm busy. Tell death I'm busy. I, I, I'm busy climbing the professional ladder. I, I don't have time to die. You see, your soul is an eternal soul. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't worry and be frightened about people who can kill the body, but they can do nothing to the soul. The person you should fear is the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says in Ezekiel 18, 4, that behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father and the soul of the Son. The soul that sins shall die. God must punish sin. Because sin is, a, is an affront to his personality as God. He must punish sin. You can't get away. Therefore, if you are too busy to see to your soul and its safety and its prosperity, then you are too more busy than God wants you to be. You see? You need to understand that this life is given to you only once. That God's judgment has no appeal. is the final declaration of God concerning your life. He valued you enough to buy your soul with the blood of his son Jesus. If after all that you are busy, okay, we are going to meet him. When you meet him, you will see whether you, you, you have used your time wisely or not. So, this is it. My greatest interest is that every one of you will be prepared to be trained, to be discipled, and to give yourself to help in ministry on the campuses. I talk with uh, Mr. Boise. I look at the campuses under him alone, and I groan for him. How? You see? But there are many of you who can be of help. Three, four, five people can declare that I'm taking up Wisconsin University. Then the other person will say, oh, oopsa, I'm going to take up oopsa. And then what about the secondary schools? 
Somebody can say, oh, Presec, we are going, Accra girls, oh. And every week, you go to that campus, you win at least one soul, you start discipling them, you help the scripture union, you give your testimony at Gaffey's meetings, and gradually you begin to mobilize a team. These young people see your life, that you are a graduate, and you are serving God, it impacts them. They see the model and they want, they tell themselves, oh, when I also finish, uh, Legon or KN UST, UCC, Winneba, when I finish Wisconsin or UPSA, I'm also going to be involved. I normally tell people my own experience. When I became born again, the very first holiday I had, my daddy sent me from uh, Hohue in the Volta region to Ho. I can't remember whether it was Hohue or Pando, one of those places. I was going to Ho anyway. And when we reached the Pever Mountains, our bus parked and some passengers were alighting. And a young man entered the bus and gave a simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus. And he started sharing tracts. And I, I felt tears coming into my eyes. Then, before he alighted, I asked him, young man, who are you? He said, oh, I'm a student from Tito Secondary School. And during the holidays, I like to work for Jesus. Nobody was paying him. I wept when the bus took off. I said, ah, here is a young man like me. And he's working for the Lord who bought him with his blood. I know where Jesus picked me from. I know how much mercy and grace God had on me to save me. I should be doing that. And I vowed to myself those days that during the holidays, I can also serve the Lord who bought me. You see? I, I, I want to tell you that your generation can either lead a revival or give space to Ghana and Africa to become more hardened to the gospel. Look at Europe. For 1,300 years, they were the continent with the largest percentage of Christians in the world. They gave us the Martin Luther's, the Zwingli's, the Calvin's. They sent missionaries, Hudson Taylor, Mary Slessor, David Livingston, those who came to our shores here in Ghana and died from mosquito bite. But now, of all the continents in the world, the greatest continent with unbelief 
is Europe. They are struggling to even have 2% of evangelical Christians. That's it. Your generation is no guarantee. The fact that Africans are becoming Christians today is no guarantee that it will be the same tomorrow. It's an open door that God has turned to us in Africa. We are behind in almost everything in the world. But the worship of God he has given to us. 42% of all evangelical Christians in the world are now in Africa. In a few years to come, half of all evangelical Christians in the world will be in Africa. What an opportunity. This is the time to work. Let's work on the continent. Let's work. A lot more people are waiting to be converted, to be discipled, to be built up, to be strengthened, to be encouraged. If we help them, they transform the nation for tomorrow. If we just fight and we think that we can use the political sin or just a battle with Islam, it will not get anywhere. But if we disciple our people and build conviction and all the youth who pass through our schools and universities are Bible-reading quiet time, prayerful, faithful human beings with conviction, you will see that LGBTQ cannot grow in this country. CSE cannot grow in the country. Our politicians will gradually become men and women of conscience who will be prepared to die rather than get money and be bought. Why? Because we have got a majority of people we are turning out from our universities and secondary schools who know Jesus as Lord and personal Savior and know that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. Well, I want to close on this note. Your life is in your hands. You have left school. You have graduated. Possibly, you have finished national service. The whole wide world is before you. You need to take a decision. Whether you will give your life and the rest of all you are and have and ever hope to be to the Lordship of Jesus now, or you keep it for yourself. The choice is yours. My words are ended. God bless you. Amen. Wow. Is there any questions? Yeah, the things that uh, um, Apostle says is true. Um, probably, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not only... Um, I'm a worker, a mother, and it's a combination of a whole lot. Um, okay. And sometimes it's it's not easy. It's just maybe adjust on maybe how to combine because you still want your kids to get a best. You still don't want them to, um, like you were saying, share the word of God with them, have time and everything. Just adjust on maybe how we can 
you know, there's a way they did it that they were able to survive. So giving the children the best in the word of God and everything. So it's just a little bit on a little highlight on how we can do it and be able to still manage our time and work and everything. And still do it and do it best. That's that's my question, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Michael, please you can also ask your question. Um my name is Michael and um I'm in school now. My question is this. This is the case where after becoming a Christian, most of the times we are not disciples. We don't even know our, our left from our right. The only thing they tell us is find a, a Bible-believing church and join. So is there any avenues that um, our Father can show us for us to be disciples? Okay. Thank you. Can I take those two questions first? Yes, yes, please. Thank you. Uh, Sister Ajua, uh, you are not the only person. Everybody, even among the men, all are asking the same question. How can I combine being a parent, a professional, a Christian, and leadership in the church and it's overwhelming. So, my answer is always the same. Number one, go and sit before the Holy Spirit and ask Him what He has sent you to this earth to come and do for Him. What is it that when you finish you can say with Jesus in John 17, 4, Father, I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Because when you know that, saying no to the distraction is no longer difficult. And saying yes to what you have to be involved in is easier. Because you know the direction you are going to. Number two is make your family part of your ministry. What I do is everywhere I go, I try to go with my wife. I try to make my children part of my ministry. Now they are old, of course. My last uh, child is 28. But what I mean is, if your wife, if wife and husband, we go to talks together, we go places together, then I don't leave her alone. And I am also struggling to find time for her. Because as we travel together, we are able to talk. And touch base with one another. The children also the same. We it will be good to take hold of opportunities like eating together, praying together, reading the Bible together. Then you are no longer just. Uh, struggling to find time 
between ministry and work and family and church. As many things as you can do together, try and do them. Number three, cut off the unnecessary things which sidetrack you. Uh, I, I don't want to get into trouble, but many people who say they are very busy are not too busy to watch a football match for one hour, one and a half hours. Many women who say they are very busy are not too busy to spend three hours at the hairdressers. So, take stock of where your time goes. And some of the things, you need to prayerfully cut them off. Now, number four, about the use of the time, is some interferences are from God. Acts 10, 19 and 20. Holy Spirit told Peter, three men are searching for you. Go with them. Don't doubt anything, for I have sent them. And it took Peter three days, but it was the Holy Spirit who sent those people. Look at Jesus. He was invited in Mark 5 by Jairus, whose daughter was dying. But the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment and he stopped because it was a godly intervention. Look at John chapter 4, the woman of Samaria. Jesus was passing through Samaria. But that encounter with that woman, she brought the whole town to Jesus. And Jesus, they begged him, he stayed two more days. So some things we worry about that they are wasting our time are godly interventions. So, Number five, listen more closely to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Some things we rush about in life are not necessary. Hey, I have to go quickly. I'm seeing the minister of education. So you leave the house five. You get to the minister's office and they say, oh, he traveled last night. So he's not in. If you had listened to the Holy Spirit, you see that you wouldn't be in that rush. Some of the things, if you spend time with God, your daily quiet time, God knows how to work out that thing for you in a way you cannot understand. A thousand years is like one day before God, and one day is like a thousand years. Second Peter 3, 8. So please work with these five. Okay, our brother Michael is talking about the avenues for discipleship and training. And I want to direct you to Mr. Boyson because he will be very useful helping you, finding for you somebody who can do the discipling. I have even told him that, you know, we have a, a Bible school, it's a one week at a time Bible school. 
And those of you who seriously want to be trained so that you can be of more use at the office and your neighborhood in your profession, we, we, the Bible school is for such people. We train you because 97% of Christians will never come past this. But you also love Jesus and you want to show him that you love him. And so you can be very effective at your workplace. So meet uh, Mr. Boyson and he will help you. In fact, I've told him that if there are some of you who seriously want to be discipled and you are prepared to meet weekly, at least one hour every week, I will be prepared to help. So please see Mr. Boyson and let's see what can be done to help such people. Thank you very much. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the generation you have given us. We thank you for these younger leaders. Lord, even as Josiah, he was still young. He started searching for God wildly and caused a a, a revolution, a reformation in his time. I want to pray for each of these, my brothers and sisters, that they will be on fire for you. And that even though they are still young, they will begin to make impact at home, at work, at church, in society, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will thrive and their own lives will have godly success in Jesus name amen follow JFK men's ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast you can also access some of JFK men's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensministries.org God bless you.